This morning, we're going to look at a very famous passage. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 2. And if you're new with us, just want to welcome you. My name is Chad. I'm the pastor here. There are many pastors here. Um, and we're super excited to announce in a few weeks, we're bringing on two more pastors on staff at Cornerstone Church. We'll be telling you a lot more about that. Um, but we are, God is building us into a team. He's building a family. And, uh, you know, <clears throat> just thank you for being here. It's, it's really awesome. Um, for those of you who come week in and week out, you are an anomaly. Um, most statisticians tell us that the average regular attender is about 1.4 times a month. I don't know what they're doing with the other 2.6 of themselves, but, and so, and there's so much going on in the world right now and YouTube and people talking bad about the church and going on Sundays or do we need small or do we need big? The point is you need community. And I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not, a, I'm not absent-minded to think that this is the only facet or dynamic or manifestation of community, but it is one of them. And there is this, this, this wonderful thing that happens when the scattered community of believers gather together, whether it's in two, three, or 12, or 120, that God reserves for the assembled community that you and I do not get in our own little personal private thing. Are you tracking with me? And so just during this fall, really for the next several weeks, probably month, month and a half, we're going to talk about Christian community. We're going to talk about what does it mean to not be a crowd that gathers, but a family that gathers and then scatters and stays living as a family. Does that sound like a good idea? I mean, it, I mean in a, in a, we're, we're in some of the most polarizing, racially charged justice issue, them and those. We, I mean, anyone know? This is like almost unprecedented. It's not like it hasn't happened in our country or the nations before, but anyone feel that struggle, that tension? Come on, you've been raising your hands worshiping. How about raising them now? This issue of what, what, right and wrong and center and left and right and who's, who's in control, who's not in control. And, and then, then, you, then the church is all these statistics that come out and the rise of the nuns and an unprecedented young people are leaving the church, but where are they going? I mean, I'm telling you, you can just Google and have yourself a depressing day in like 20 minutes. So, what are we going to do about it? Are we going to continue to speak into the problem? Are we going to be a part of the solution to be a community, a city on a hill that is worth modeling and inviting people into an experience of the gospel, not only individually but collectively as a family that you cannot find in any other circle or social gathering space on the earth? on the earth. And I've just been really reading and thinking, and there's just so much has happened over these last 18 months, and I, I feel a little bit like Swiss cheese, where I'm just holy, I'm really holy. I'm just aware of my own lack, aware of my own sin, aware of my own brokenness, and aware of my own um, just funkiness as it pertains to the community, and growing on how to be a, a shepherd, and a friend, and a brother, and and I don't know about you, but learning and growing is painful. Am I talking to anyone today? When you learn and when you, when you grow and the Holy Spirit invites you to go to the next level, it usually comes with great pain and great cost. Did you know it's way easier that if you get offended by someone in this church or by me or anyone, it's way easier to pack up and leave than to stay and fight for relationship. 
Did you know it's way easier to isolate than to gather in the midst of differences and to try to work through them in a Christ-centered, godly kingdom way than to go to your corner? Am I talking to anyone today? It is so much easier to go from church to church to whatever, vocation, vocation. But I'm telling you, if we will stick in this season, transitionary season together, God is going to birth something really powerful and beautiful. But you won't be able to do it as an innocent bystander. you got to jump in. You can't do it with your, on the fringes. You can't do it, am I sort of in or am I sort of not? I'm, I'm very aware that sort of like the average tenure of attenders is even about 18 months where people stay, check out, uh, get hurt or not hurt, or they're not fed or they're not met and they bail. And I want you to know, I don't want that to be your story. And so as we, we dive into the fall and school is starting, we're gonna look very intentionally in what does it mean to develop Christian community and what that means for us. See, here's the thing. Mark Zuckerberg of, of Facebook just released an article, or, or someone wrote the article and it was released, about how the vacuum that now exists as people are leaving the church, social media, Facebook, other social constructs are beginning to take the place. But this Christian article writer said, but nothing can actually take the place of Christian community. Although there are many ways people gather and find identity and learn language and they, they learn values and what's important, but nothing ever will replace ever, 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 ever the community that Jesus breathed on and poured out his spirit upon in Acts chapter 2. And it's, it's, it's growing fruit and it's bearing fruit all over the earth. So, no, so just as Americans, it's so easy in our news cycles and to, and to read our articles, but I want you to know the church is exploding globally. It's exciting to be a part of it. And God is not done with us in America. He's not done with us in America because you're here. So he's not done with us in America. He is not done with us. Now, there's many things culturally that we've been, it was the oxygen we were raised in, things like consumerism, individualism, materialism, me, my, me, my, that it's very hard to overcome, but the gospel is power to save. The gospel of Jesus can take us from our little thing and bring us and establish us into the kingdom of God. So I am not hopeless. Although I feel helpless, I am not hopeless because the Holy Spirit is the one who birthed the church and the Holy Spirit's the one today who's still drawing the church to Jesus. And oddly enough, you can't be drawn to Jesus and not to a Christian brother. I'm sorry, that theologically does not work. It does not work. Let me hear you say it. It does not work. Christ is never separated from his body. That's why it's called the body. It'd be like a decapitated expression of Jesus. He's called the head, and he's attached to his body. Are you tracking with me? And you and I, when we believe the gospel, we're a part of that body. So imagine this amazing, glorious, cosmic head, Jesus, <laughs> reigning at the right hand of the Father. And every nation, language, culture, ethnicity, tribe, and tongue, rich and poor, Jew and Gentile, slave free, every nation under the earth is making up this mosaic, this eclectic body of which you and I are invited to participate in. How do you know if you're making progress in this communal identity? Some questions, if you want to write them down or think about them, I'll post them online. When you think of your Christian experience, this is just a little assessment, or your walk with God, do you think predominantly in the terms of we or the terms of me? You don't have time, okay, yeah, that's good. Keep it to yourself, please, test. We're taking a test. 
kidding. This is a great filter to understand if we understand the biblical robust vision of God's community called the church or if we've been more influenced by cultural values than kingdom culture values. When you think of your walk in Christ, you think predominantly in the terms of we or the terms of me. If all of us had a chance to go to multiple years of school and we could learn the Greek and the tenses and the language of the original language of the New Testament, you and I would realize that most all of the yous are in the plural. They're not you singular, they're you plural. Did you know that almost this entire, the, the document that Dave challenged you and I to read, who's gonna take them up on it? Don't raise your hand. Think about it, but do it. Almost the entire scriptures are written into communities, to family, to people, not persons, although persons are included in people. Next question. Do you view the church as an event or a place that you go to, or as an identity of which you carry or bear? That's a good question. Is something I go to, or an event I attend, or is it an identity that I wear? Does that make sense? How many know you go down those roads, they get forked and they go different very quickly? Church as event, or institution, or church as my identity. I'm a member of a called out community of saints. Another question. When asked who is your brother or who is your sister, what is your first response? Who's your mother, who's your father? Scripturally speaking, Jesus has some super particular things. If you're a Christian, who, who, that, who they are. Who's my brother? Who's my sister? When you talk about Cornerstone Church, and this is, I have no heat on this. I just was reflecting on some fun, pointed questions. Do you verbalize it in our city as I go to Cornerstone Church or I'm a part of the Cornerstone Church family? Do you see the difference? It's somewhere I go or I belong to the family. How many know we may not be able to get a generation, statisticians tell us they're not interested in what we're offering, but I'm telling you, every one of them is irresistibly drawn to the reality of family. They're starving for family, starving for a place to belong and to be empowered and to be a place where they can be cultivated to reach their potential, their identity, their purpose, so they can be a flourishing member of society. I go to Cornerstone Church or I'm a part of the Cornerstone Church family. Now, I am not ignorant I am in many areas, but not of this one, because I studied it. I'm ignorant in many other areas, for the record, because we're recording. Family is super hard and difficult. Can I get a witness? Family. Unless your family is just perfect, then you a liar, and your father is the devil. I'm just kidding. The devil is the father of lies. John chapter 8, you can look it up. I promise it's there. But family is the vehicle for revival that he wants to release on the earth. Let me say that again. Family is the vehicle of revival that he wants to release on the earth. A group of people transformed from the inside out by the gospel of Jesus Christ. I go to or I'm a part of. And my prayer that as we look at this passage, and I just kick us off on this series of a multi-multi-week series on family and community and, and what does it mean to be a community and family. 
my hope is that by the end of it, not that you'd fill out a piece of paper, um, but that there'd be a spiritual bond, a covenant that says between you and I and us, there is nothing God cannot do in and through us because we're family. And that's the vehicle he rides to bring awakening, culturally new, and revival. Thank you, Pastor Ken, for agreeing with that. I love you. So Acts chapter two, I gotta get with it. This passage, um, my working title for the message is, are we a crowd or are we a community? That's my working title. If you think of a better one by the end, please tell me so we can post it on our podcast and website. Acts chapter two, verse 42. Very, very famous, very, very famous passage. If you've been around, and if you haven't, it is. Let's read this together, can we? Acts chapter two, verse 42 through 47. Um, in the NIV, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. You don't have to read it with me. I mean, just like watch it with your eyes. <laughs> oh, there you go. I'll read it. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone, say everyone, was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All, oh, read it again with me. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, whoa, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. How many alls? Someone tally them up later. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, I want you to know right away, immediately, there is not such a thing as an ideal, perfect church. Come on, you've been a pastor for 40 years. I was waiting to hear some amen. The moment you or I show up to that gathering, it ceases to be perfect. Now, there are forms and functions of the church and some demonstrations and manifestations of the church that are more faithful and more fruitful. Everyone said amen. amen. But there is no perfect pie in the sky if you belong to that group or this thing or that, that somehow all of your problems are gonna evaporate and it's just utopia. Because you're gonna have to deal with that, brother. And there's a reason when the, the disciples, when Jesus taught them about kingdom family and he said, when Peter was trying to be a smart aleck and say, Jesus, how many times should I forgive my brother? Seven times. The rabbinical law was three, so Peter was trying to look generous. Jesus takes his quasi-generosity and says, you were off by about time 77. And he said, you got to forgive your brother seven times, 77 times. And this is the only time in the, the gospels that the disciples asked Jesus, oh my goodness, increase our faith. They didn't say increase our faith when they couldn't heal or drive out the demon or teach to the thousands or to feed the multitudes. The only time they said we got no faith for community is when Jesus said my community that gathers around me and takes its, it takes its cues from me, you're not going to be able to pull that puppy off on your own strength. And so the disciples go, if that's what 
mercy looks like fleshed out in flesh and blood and real life community, we need more faith. And I want you to know we need faith for community. Let me say that again. This side's really with me. We need faith for community because there is no future for any community without a robust, wholehearted devotion to mercy, to grace, to forgiveness and compassion, both on the receiving end and the giving end. It is not possible. The disciples increase their faith. And so as you read this, and many have undertaken to unpack this, I don't even claim to even scratch the surface on it this morning, but this was not a perfect community. Just read uh, three chapters later, Ananias struck dead, Sapphira, his li- they're liars to the Holy Spirit. The church is seized with fear. Chapter six, the Hebraic Jews and the Grecian Jews are fighting because there's racism and pre- prejudice in the church. I'm not trying to belittle the church. I'm just saying there ain't no perfect community. You know what? We wouldn't have the New Testament if there was a perfect community because you know what? Every manifestation of every one of every letter, every every letter to every church and every elder is how to work out your funkiness, your sin, your brokenness, and your quit acting like pagans, act like Christians. If there was a perfect community, we wouldn't have the one third of the Bible that we have called the New Testament. And everybody said amen. Thank you, Lord. You don't just leave us in our funkiness. You give us direction. Are you tracking with me? I'm talking about family, Christian community. It's costly. It's super hard. Way easier to be isolated and to stay in offense or hurt or do your own thing, start your own thing. And if God's telling you to do that, bless you. But there's a thing that he's inviting us into that if we'll say yes together, I think verse 47, the last line, would be true of our community. He'll add daily to those who are being saved. We don't just skip to evangelism because there's some other stuff before it. Now, for very, very quick context, sorry, it's so funny, like, one of our core values is encounter, and so we're never in a hurry through worship, but being one of the worship leaders here, sometimes I shoot myself in the foot because we're not in a hurry there, then I feel hurried the whole time I preach, and I'm so tired of that. So pray for me, because I'm trying to work on it, because I have so much stuff to say that the Lord's been burning I know we could sing for 20 minutes, but you can sing for 20 minutes on your own. It's fun to do it together. Anyway, you can write me an email later about that if you have insight. (sighs) Or a phone call. I'm just telling you, God, God, there's something he does when we gather together and call on his name and worship him. You 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 can't cheat your way there. It just takes time. Are you tracking with me? It just takes time to enter his throne room. It takes time to allow the busyness of your day. It takes time to allow all of your random thoughts about, are the Rams going to be good this year? It takes time to... And I want you to know there's a reason why we press in because we believe that time devoted to pressing in and actually touching heaven through Jesus, it is worth it is worth our time. It is worth our effort. It is worth our shouting and our raised hands. It is worth the, the low choruses, and it's worth the big swelling bridges where we just let loose our praise. Why? Because you don't come here to get a word or to get teaching. or to, I mean, you do a little bit, but you're coming. My heart is you're coming to encounter Jesus, and then you're getting equipped to encounter him every day, and then ultimately you're able to release encounters of his love everywhere you go. And so our dream as a people and core value number one is we want to be a people of encounter. So anyway, that was a side note and just took three minutes of my message. 
but I have to pastor a church. I'm trying to learn how to do that. And uh, that's really important to us, is the presence. The presence of God. So how did we get here to this passage, this, this famous community-shaping passage? Let me just summarize all of chapter two. 120 believers are huddled in a room for 10 days waiting for the promise of their ascended Lord who said, go and wait. How many know sometimes promises take time to possess? And as they're huddled in that upper room, 120, the wind blows. It starts rumbling. Tongues of fire rest on every head after 10 days. Every theologian argues what they're doing for 10 days, but it says that they were in one accord. And I don't know about you, but getting three people in one accord is a miracle. Try doing it with 120. And 120 finally get into one accord. There was like a symphony. They were praying this, playing the same tune. They had one purpose, one hope, one ambition, one aim. And the Spirit of God descends, and they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit allows them, these everyday, ordinary Galatians, uh, Galileans, under the utterance and inspiration of Holy Spirit, they're able to preach in the heart language of some 13 to 17 nations declaring the wonders of God. Some think they're drunk, but others are like, dude, we hear the wonders of God in our own heart native language. Peter gets up and says, we're not drunk. This is the Joel 2 promise. That was like 700 plus years old. The Spirit's been poured out. And it's not just being poured out on a select few, those who have education, those who are rich, those who are well off. It's being poured out on men and women, young and old, slaves and servants, that this new thing that God is doing and that has increased in steam and fruitfulness and glory is a thing that he's inviting everyone in on. And the spirit, the prophetic spirit that bears witness to the glories and wonders of Jesus. Peter then goes on to say from 22 through 37, you guys killed Jesus. And he unpacks four things about the gospel. Number one, that Jesus did not just pop out of thin air. He is the historical, hoped for, prophesied Israel, Jewish Messiah, the hope of Israel. That he comes on the long line of the history of God's people. And Jesus came to his own, John 1, 11, and elsewhere. But his own didn't receive him, but it didn't derail him from fulfilling his mission, which was to carry a cross, to be wrongfully and shamefully accused to become sin for us, to die and to be resurrected, vindicated by his father, proving that he was the Davidic son that God promised David 700 some years earlier that he would have one of his descendants to reign on an everlasting eternal throne. So number one, Peter in these verses says, guys, that's Jesus. He's the hoped for promised Messiah. Number two, he connects the scriptures to the work and ways and words of Jesus. So he connects and he tells the crowd a new way to read the scriptures in light of the person and work of Jesus. It was all pointing towards him and it's been fulfilled in him. 
He then goes on to say, no longer, in verse 36, let you and all of Israel know that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And he says, and then the crowds are cut to the heart. The only time that word is used in the New Testament, cut. What do we do to be saved? And he says, all of you. It's no longer a matter of ancestral line. It's no longer a matter of ethnicity. The only way you're in on what God is in on is if you confess the lordship of Jesus Christ. You, yes, you're God-fearing Jews, and you think that baptism's only for the Gentiles getting in on. No, 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 not in these last days. Everyone's gotta be baptized into my new last days community called the church. And so what do we do? Repent, rethink everything in light of Jesus, including how you read your Old Testament scriptures. Read, that's what repent means, rethink. Rethink, how many know that's a long journey, but it starts with an initial choice. Rethink everything. In light of this one I just talked about for, 25, for 15 verses, and then be baptized. In other words, all of you who rejected him, John 1, 12, all of you who missed it, who shouted crucify him, or those you represent, he's inviting you back. He's not condemning you in your rejection and rebellion. He's made a way through your rejection of him. God was actually working. He's the lamb that was slain from before the foundations of the earth, Revelation 13. He just used your wickedness and depravity to accomplish his purposes. And now he's inviting all of you treasonous enemies, rebels of God's Messiah to just repent, rethink everything, be baptized into this new thing called the community of saints, the family, the enlargement of Israel. It's the prophetic promise of Isaiah 54. Enlarge your tent pegs. I'm doing something in your day that will not only include Israel, it include all the nations. So... They're cut to the heart when they understand that the gospel confronts their blindedness. And I want you to know, you and I are absolutely, utterly helpless to have an encounter that leads to salvation apart from the Holy Spirit escorting us along every step of the way. That's why we press into prayer and worship. We're hoping and believing that God the Holy Spirit would come in our gathering and would take words from a young man or an old man or woman before the service, during the service, after, and the Spirit would escort you into revelation, to experiencing the beauties and the wonders and the glories of Jesus. And when you encounter him, that your heart would be cut open and he'd be able to put his kingdom seed in there and that you would learn, like all of us, to become good soil where that seed can grow and prosper and flourish. And so the gospel confronted their blindedness. The gospel confronted their sin. But how many know the gospel doesn't just confront, it cleanses. And he's saying, if you repent and are baptized, I will wash away your sins. I'll forgive you. All of your treason, all of your hatred, your injustice, your prejudice, all of the ways you thought the kingdom would come, I'm willing to forgive all of that. And on top of that, I'm not just going to wipe away what you've done. I'm going to fill you with my presence and the Holy Spirit. I mean, it's one thing to be wiped and washed and cleansed. It's another thing to be filled with the very presence of God. And he's saying, this is before the passage I'm actually going to preach on. Because it's 
priest stuff is my favorite. I love the gospel. But listen, the apostle Peter did not get up and say, believe the gospel and be individually saved and do your individual thing. It was from the very beginning of the first apostolic gospel message. It was an invitation to community, not a personal, private, little experience with God. No, you didn't hear me. You didn't hear me. He was preaching to some 17 nations, and he was saying, yes, the gospel's for the individual, but that's not predominantly what it's about. The gospel creates a new community. The gospel creates a new humanity. The gospel creates a new people. And it's so significant that 3,000 are added on that first day. When God gave the law in Exodus 19 and 20, and when Moses was gone too long, the people began to sin and revelry. And he comes down the mountain, and he's just about done. Given Yahweh is about done with the people. And Moses intercedes and says, Lord, we're all just so slow of heart. We don't understand what you're doing. And the Levites took their swords and they cut down 3,000 of their brothers and sisters so that the curse of sin would stop spreading in the camp of Israel. We'll look at Acts chapter 2 when the Spirit is poured out. 120 don't come down the mountain slaying. They come down speaking hope and blessing and healing. That's because the law of the letter kills, but the Spirit comes to bring life. It comes to bring forgiveness. It comes to bring healing, the Spirit. And as 3,000 were slain in Exodus 32, now 3,000 are brought into the family, which is to say, Hebrews chapter 7, 8, 9, and 10, the whole book of Hebrews, that the new covenant is far more glorious and superior than the old. The new covenant that was founded upon the person and work and blood of Jesus, that was ratified in his perfect work, was vindicated through his resurrection, and is ultimately now spread through the spirit-breathed, spirit-adopted, spirit-filled community called the church. It's your fault. (laughs) Patricia called me yesterday, and she said, the Lord had you on my mind. I said, well, what's on your mind? She prayed, and my first point was about blindedness. She didn't know. She said, I pray that you'll be blind tomorrow. You'll only see Jesus, and that you will preach, boy. That you will preach, boy. I pray that you'll be blind. You only see Jesus. And he's heard your prayer this morning, because I am weak, but I am weak so that his strength can be perfected this morning as we stand in the gospel. It's your fault. But you can, it's okay to be at fault for that. This is the glorious gospel. The gospel creates community. The gospel creates community. I want you to know the key word to this entire passage, in my humble opinion, is the word devoted. Listen, if people get in on the faith by a bow your head, prayer, prayer, I, I think I'm happy. Any way come, anyone comes to salvation, I'm happy. Okay, can you hear me? I don't know if it's through a track, it's through a website, it's through an app, it's through a piece of art, it's through someone who's a bad evangelist telling them about, that's not the full picture, but they come to faith and repentance. I think Paul in Philippians 1 was saying the same thing. Whether from true, good, bad, ugly, funky motives, the point is that Christ is being preached. But I want to say the scriptures narrate that which we're to go after. And when Paul, when Peter stood up and preached this first sermon, 
He invited them, he, he, he inv- and he presented it in such a way that half-hearted, cultural, cozy commitment was not even an option. It was never an option. If you just pray this prayer and get a little bit of Jesus, immediately from its inception, it was repent, rethink everything, be baptized, identify yourself as one who's been called out, be filled with the Spirit, forgiven of your sins, and immediately... They devoted themselves. That word in the, in the original language is powerful. It is this idea of, of persevering toward a common goal, not quitting, not shrinking back. How many would ex- express their Christian church experience with that word devoted? I mean, some of you, but mo- the majority of us struggle with that word. We think it's optional to attend or whatever. But listen, when you get the gospel, or rather when the gospel gets you, listen, It doesn't drive you to your own personal private thing. If it's the spirit, it should drive you to devote yourselves to some things together with other believers. In the very beginning, they devoted themselves through perseverance, this word of devotion, great endurance. And I want you to know it's gonna take great endurance to become a community and not just remain a crowd. Come on, somebody. This This side's helping me, but over here, it takes great perseverance and patience to go beyond just being a crowd of attenders because it's a Jewish festival to becoming a family. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What is the apostles' teaching? Well, in essence, it is our New Testament. It was, here's three ways to remember. Are you ready? Uh, Say it with me. The apostles' teaching were, they described the ways of Jesus. It's all W's, so you can remember it. And I love when God does that. The words of Jesus and the work of Jesus. The ways of Jesus, serving, humility, right? Eating with sinners instead of staying in the religious elite. The ways, all of the ways of Jesus. Just read the gospel. The words of Jesus. Remember John 7, 17, my words. If you do my will, you'll find out I'm not the one who wrote them. I'm just speaking the Father's word. My words, John 6, 63, are full of the spirit and life. So the ways and the words... And Jesus said, if you hear my words, but don't put them into practice, you're like a foolish man that builds your house on the sand, Jack. Storms are going to come, whether you're on the rocks or the sand. But if it's on the rock, those who hear and put into practice my words, you're going to be able to stand anything. So the ways, the words, and then the work, that's his death. I mean, the whole, it's just all about what his death did, his resurrection, what it means and then that, together with the Father, Acts 2, 33, he's poured out the, the end times, the, the, the prophetic spirit, the Holy Spirit. What's the apostles teaching? The ways of Jesus, the words of Jesus, and the work of Jesus. Are you tracking with me? And then the fellowship, that's a beautiful word, koinonia. It means common sharing, or it means becoming a people who are devoted and going after the same aim or target. Come on. And what is that aim or target if you're a Christian community? That Jesus would be exalted in all the earth. That Jesus would remake everything in all the earth. Are you tracking with me? That those who are far from God and those who feel like they're near to God, however long the distance, the fellowship with which we gather around is for that common goal and aim that Jesus and his name would be on the lips of every person from every language, nation, tribe, and tongue. And that fellowship was such that it was aimed at a common purpose, to be a city on a hill, salty, that would together model and embody what it means to be a part of this new covenant community called the church. To the breaking of bread, I love it. That's part of the ways and works of Jesus because he always ate. 
Come on, that's good, because I'm hungry. And so if you're the ways, works, and words of Jesus, we're going after the same thing in our fellowship. We're seeking not to be served, but to serve and to give our, give our lives away, right? That's the fellowship. That's our aim, right? That those who in the natural eye are worth the least amount of glory, 1 Corinthians 12, we actually elevate them and give them the most glory. So this fellowship is an aim towards a common goal. And the common goal of the kingdom community is not who's the biggest or the loudest or whatever. It's how every single person, like the tide coming into harbor, can be lifted up and empowered to reach their full God-given potential and identity. To the breaking of bread, they ate together all the time, and that's my kind of people. And obviously, many theologians, obviously, that that was the Eucharist. They took the Lord's communion regularly, the meal Jesus showed them. And then to prayer. (sighs) Ah. I want you to know that prayer was not just some tag-on thing to the original Christian community. It was their very lifeline. Imagine this. They did not have, now it started to circulate 30, 40, 50, 60 years, obviously, after Jesus was raised. They relied so much on prayer and the provision of God and Christ through prayer because they didn't have a bunch of leather-bound or fake leather-bound Bibles. Come on, you gotta remember that. This thing in its entirety didn't exist for many, 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 many years later. And so prayer was their avenue to God. Now it was informed and influenced by the Old Testament scriptures, but the teachings of the ways, the words, and the works of Jesus, that common aim as a fellowship, the breaking of bread and remembrance of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and then to the prayer that their whole entire gathering was about this, God, we know that you know the way forward. We know that you have the power, you have the provision, you have the vision, you know how we're to grow, you know how we're gonna overcome obstacles, and so prayer was their very breath, it was their lifeline. Prayer. Liturgical prayers, they used, they, 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 they respawned some of their Jewish prayers, they had many, many prayers. Undoubtedly, they were influenced by the Lord's prayer of the Our Father who art in heaven, but they devoted themselves. Someone say they devoted That's the key word, in my opinion, to all of this. It was a perseverant, nothing can stop me resolve. Nothing can stop me. And guys, God is inviting us into it. And here's what happens out of the overflow of that, signs and wonders. How many know that's pretty cool? How many know God will always validate his word? But the validation many times only makes sense if his word is working amongst the people, a community. Us. All the believers were together. and had, look, look what this kind of community created. This is not Christian communism or socialism. Everyone stop holding your breath. What's he gonna tell us to do? This was sheer, generous joy. Every commentator I read, I tried to read and study the heck out of this passage. This is not a mandated, if you have stuff, listen, because later the church is meeting in people's houses, and if everyone sold all of their houses, there'd be no houses to work and minister in. The way the kingdom works, though, is when the gospel gets into your soul through repentance and baptism and the infilling and forgiveness of the sins and the filling with the Spirit, that the gospel jacks up your, your aim. It jacks up your orientation to your possessions and your opinions and yourself. And when you get into this kind of koinonia fellowship, you start realizing, man, maybe I don't need, I think of Dumb and Dumber, don't watch them, it's a funny movie. (laughs) Remember when he has two pairs of gloves and it's the Aspens and 
And he tells Harry, I'm sorry, I'm totally ruining the sermon. Watch the TNT TBS version, okay? It's hilarious. But his whole time, he's got two pairs of gloves and Harry's freezing. And anyone know that scene I'm talking about? So I'm not an idiot. I'm an idiot anyway, but thank you, Jesus. And it dawns on him, oh, I've got, my hands are burning up. And the beautiful thing, okay, here we go. Here comes the spiritual application. The beautiful thing about this, about family, is when family's in trouble, it's different than the person I view as just a regular attender or some stranger. When my family's in need, man, there's no link to which I'll go to help them. When it's my family, when I view, when I answer the question, who is my mother, who is my brother, if we answer it biblically, if you're doing the will of God, you're my brother, my sister, my mother, my father. And so this demonstration is, uh, is unprecedented, that it wasn't mandated, give everything, sell everything, but it was the natural outflow of being a people devoted to a kind of life together, and that it couldn't, listen, no one had to tell them, this is my family. What I've got, I got plenty, take it. I'm telling you, this starts seeping into your ethos, the way in which you think and operate it is revolution. Pregnant with possibility, Patricia. Every day, look at, and they gave to anyone who had need. I'm almost done, guys. I love you so much. Thank you for coming today. They broke bread in their homes. I'm sorry, they continued to meet in temple court. So there's this wonderful rhythm. It goes on to say in Acts chapter five, verse 41 and two, that every day they met either in temple courts or in their homes. And this is a wonderful picture and really a biblical precedent that they still met. They didn't try to invent a new religion. This is a very Jewish movement. They had temples, synagogues, and they didn't say, we're trying to start a thing. They tried to bring the kingdom and the gospel to bear. Now, eventually, they got driven out and all this sort of thing. You know what I'm saying? Later, chapter 8, Acts. But man, they just said, you know what? We want the gospel to influence and inform all of our regular patterns, habits, and rhythms. How many know that? If we did that, we'd be on our way. So in the temple courts, they broke bread in their homes, and they ate together. This word, glad and sincere, it's this exuberant joy is what the original word means. How many know, if this, I mean, this ain't perfect, and there's still funkiness and stuff to get over, but if that devotion can seize our hearts as we look this fall about what it means to become a covenant family, I'm telling you, I could use a little more joy. I don't know about you. I'm telling you, there's a whole city out there that can use a little bit more joy, and when this starts, starts seeping into our imaginations, the way we view each other, the way we think, the way we live, I'm telling you, gladness and joy, exuberant joy, will increasingly become true of our lives. Praising God, and I love this, enjoying the favor of all the people. Did you know the church many times ain't viewed all that well, culturally? We've been known more for what we're against than a radical demonstration and embodiment of who we're for. You have to hear that word. I'm not saying don't go hold the sign. I just don't know how fruitful and effective it is. Live as the counterculture, in-time family of covenant believers that take their cues from the ways, works, and words of Jesus. And I'm telling you, he can take care of the favor. He can take care of the favor. And the Lord, this is, okay, look at this. Read the last line with me. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. 
So are we a crowd? There was a crowd that day from many nations that very quickly, because of the gospel, became a community. The crowd became a community. And that community had several touch points, marks. And Jesus is inviting us into be that kind of community. And I think together with the Holy Spirit's help, I think we can make progress. I think we can make progress, family. Great cost, but great reward. If this at all tugs or moves your heart, as I pray the closing prayer, which is really feels like it's not a closing prayer, it's an invitation prayer to investigate together what this might mean for us at Cornerstone Church and what it might mean for our families, our coworkers, our colleagues. We're gonna get there in the weeks to come. Will we be a crowd or become a community of Christ? That is the question. So if this hits your heart, I just want you to stand out of solidarity, not because we're going to just get a one-time bop, be done, but if this connects with your heart and you're saying, I want, I want to do this, could you just stand as a, just a sign, a testimony, a covenant, just that we're, we, we, our heart is for this, Lord. We actually want to go after this. We, we don't want to be a crowd. We don't want to just be religious individual consumers. We want to be a kingdom community. You're going to teach us, Jesus. You're the Lord of your church. And you said that the gates of hell itself couldn't stand against your church. Jesus, you yourself said you would build your church. So ask the Holy Spirit, man, Lord, where is my devotion at? Don't get in guilt land. That's not the Lord. Get in conviction land. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Am I devoted to the ways, works, and words of Jesus? Am I devoted to this fellowship or a fellowship going after the same goal? Am I devoted to breaking bread, sharing meals, and remembering Jesus' work regularly? And am I a part of becoming a person and becoming a community of prayer? Just ask the Holy Spirit. He is so clear when he speaks to us. And maybe right now, grab your smartphone or your device, whatever you've got, a pen, and say, Lord, what would you want me to just tangibly take away from this morning? Write it down. Type it. I'm just going to wait for 30 seconds because it's still preseason and none of you are freaking out yet. <laughs> What's interesting is we don't have, anyway, I'm not going to go there. Thank you. Just write down. Write it down. What's the Holy Spirit showing you about your devotion? What is in one area maybe he's calling you into? Just write it down or type it out. Or think about it. Yes, Lord. It's good news. <sighs> An individualistic faith is way crummier than being invited into a family. <laughs> Come on, somebody. We're talking about a family that when one part suffers, we all do. A family when one part gets elevated and exalted, we all win. 
This is the biblical vision of what it means to be the new covenant people of God. Israel enlarged, not replaced. This new covenant family established through the person and work of Jesus Christ. I announce to you today, whatever you're writing down, that through Jesus there is the forgiveness of sins today. (laughs) Through Jesus there is the empowerment and the infilling of the Holy Spirit today. And through Jesus you're being invited into a family to be devoted and to experience what it means to be surrounded by brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers who love and care for you. We've not done it perfect. I've not done it perfect, but my heart is devoted. Just say that, Lord. I've not done it perfect. We've not done it perfect, but our heart is devoted. So help us, Holy Spirit. We love you. We praise you. And in that last line, and the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. If that's in your heart to see, can you just say amen? Amen. 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 Thank you, Lord. We ask that you'd heal us. Heal our wounds right now. The slander, the accusations, the hurts. Lord, we're talking about wounds that may be decades old that makes us afraid of community, family. Right now, I ask the Holy Spirit that like on Pentecost, that you would blow away all the pain, all the fear, all the insecurities, that you would just wrap your loving arms around every person in this place. And Lord, we pray together the Lord's Prayer. And then afterwards, we're gonna have, if you want prayer, we're gonna have a team that would love to pray with you for anything under the sun, even when it's eclipsed. But let's pray the Lord's Prayer. Justin, if you could, just get it for us. It's Matthew chapter six, verse nine through 13. So we can just read it on the screens because I don't wanna assume that everyone knows it. Matthew chapter six, verse nine This is one of the prayers undoubtedly they prayed regularly. Matthew chapter six, verse nine, there it is, thank you. Let's read it together. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. All in favor, say amen.